0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. This is an interesting scene. So we were uh, all getting together and uh, praying before the first service. Everyone that's involved in the service gets uh, gets around there and prays. And these seven dwarfs came up and uh, and uh, joined in the prayer time. And and uh, you see you see the worship team. Their eyes are darting back and forth, thinking that oh oh who's uh, Who's helping with the worship today? And someone whispers, uh, well, we're the can-can line. And, and then someone answered, whispered back, no, you're the can-can line. So, <laughs> but that was how the morning started, and uh, we had a good time in the first service. Um, this is a group of folks who are uh, involved in the campaign. By, by no token are the only ones that are involved. There are so many people involved on, on so many committees. But we thought at this point in time it would be a really good opportunity to answer those what questions. You know, this whole giving thing has been an interesting journey so far because, um, you know, it's a very individual, uh, individual challenge to all of us. You know, what are we going to give? How are we going to lean in? What is God telling us uh, how we can get involved in the building of this new facility with the building of the church as a family as well? And at the same time, it's a very much a community event where we have to encourage one another. It's kind of like we're setting up the race course and then we're all of us, we're running along with you to see where God will lead us. And God is certainly in charge and we've never lost sight of that at all. But these gentlemen here are going to answer some questions that will just, I think the ones that may have been on your mind. Um, and I would encourage you uh, to uh, in, engage in conversation uh, and and come up and say what you think and let any of these gentlemen, myself, um, uh, have any questions that you have or, or even ideas and challenges that you have for us as well. The first question uh, is for Terry, Pastor Terry, and um, I, I think it's his fault that we're in this time, uh, not at all, but uh, it, was he, it was him in prayer in in seeking God's guidance that determined that, you know, we should probably start thinking about building on that land. I just wanted to um, hear how, you, how that came about in your mind, Terry. Okay. <clears throat> uh, it was about two years ago.
0: Two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Two years ago. That's not? Okay. It was about two years ago. um, I began to feel uh, restless, and uh, I felt um, as though that property was either going to be part of the vision of this church moving forward, or it was going to be an impediment to this church moving forward. Um, I felt that uh, we as a church could, could become stuck, or we already were stuck, and uh, that whole property uh, was, was such a, a big elephant in the room that, that it wasn't allowing anybody to think about vision or ministry beyond it, and uh, either, either we had to decide in a holy kind of restlessness that that is what God wants us to do, or we need to settle it and divest ourselves of it and pursue what what God wants for this generation and, and coming ministry. So that was the first thing that, that started in my annual report. I wrote that that year and just said that this has to be a year of, of holy consensus on this. The second, the second aspect of the answer though is, is really to do with the kind of the defining stories. Um, this came out at our anniversary service uh, five years ago when we celebrated as a church our 50th anniversary. And uh, it, it's interesting because it seemed to be that the, the church's stories have been defined by location. Uh, a group of people from McDermott Avenue Church uh, planted a church in 1961 in, on Grant Avenue, and, and then 20-some years later, uh, a group felt the wind of God blowing them to, to move south to this new development. And this building was built in 1988 and, and uh, 10 years ago or so uh, this church family felt the winds of God saying it's, it's another property at McGilvery and the story of how that property was acquired and then paid for so quickly in my seven years as, as pastor here has been probably the most repeated defining story in the last seven years and so I began to think that if, if that's if that story is truly God and it's the Alpha story, then what's the omega of that? What's the final, what's the next chapter? What's the final ending of that story? And with the view of ministry, of the momentum, of the focus of mission, of the unity in our church, and uh, all the circumstances we face in limited uh, facility here, it just made sense that God was leading us to the next
1: step. Thanks, Terry. So Chris Karam is, uh, leads the, the building committee and has been... Almost as, as longly involved, longly involved in this uh, mission as uh, as Chris and as, as Terry has been, and so uh, Chris, you've uh, you've worked with a great committee. You've done a lot of hard work for us, and we really appreciate that. Um, tell us where we're at right now. Um, you know, is, is there anything uh, missing in the plan that you would like to have done, or how how's your how's your building committee think about the forward view for the building?
2: Well, the the committee has really worked hard to ensure that. Uh, both our, our short and long-term needs have been met. Uh, one of those longer-term needs is the addition of a, of a second story that we have uh, uh, roughed in just for now, uh, just above the kitchen and children's ministry area. And uh, what, we, what we plan is just in case uh, down the road we run into space limitations as we have in the past, this would be a, a really cost-effective way for us to Finish that space off, accommodate more people, so that we can continue to build the ministry, and then eventually afford that second uh, phase.
1: Thanks, Chris, and and we'll have more time for Chris over the next couple of weeks uh, to speak more into the building where it's at and give some more detailed vision. So we all have the same view in in mind as we as we look forward to the opportunity. Um, Dave. is responsible for all our finances. He's our CFO kind of in a way for the church and, uh, and his job is to make sure that things work in the future. So he's been doing a lot of work in projecting that. But one of the things that we're going to need is some financing uh, for the building to make, it's going to be, you know, we'll sell this building, we'll raise some funds and we'll get some financing that will, the three of those things together will, will meet the need. Uh, Dave, um, we're, we're talking to lenders and what's their view of this whole opportunity for us? Are they are they pretty positive about it? Can you give us some insight into that process?
3: Sure, I would say it's uh, very positive. Last month, uh, Bob Fast, Fast uh, led a team of Chris Cram and Gary Schellenberg and myself, and we went and sat down with the, the credit union and laid out uh, the plans for the building and the plans for fundraising, and it was a very positive meeting. They followed up with a discussion paper that detailed how they would be willing to uh, support us in our plans, and so I believe the ball is back in our court now as we go into the capital campaign uh, in earnest to determine how God is going to use us to, to meet those numbers in the financial um, report, the funding plan for the new building.
1: Excellent, thank you very much. On to Bob Fast. Now Bob has been doing a number of things in the campaign, but one of the things he's responsible for is giving leadership to the small group uh, information meetings and uh, Doug mentioned that in the, in the announcements today. But Bob, um, when, I, when I go to one of these meetings, what will happen, is it scary?
2: As I said earlier, it's only scary if you're there, John. <laughs> just, just joking. John's not that scary. Um, these are going to be uh, really great opportunities for, for all of us, and, and I really mean all of us, to participate in a conversation. Uh, what, we were, what we want to have happen is, uh, is everyone to be able to get informed and inspired and, uh, and really to see uh, how God is leading them. And this is most effectively done in a group of, of six to, I think we said, uh, maybe up to 20 people. Uh, but we really want every person in the congregation to to become part of this discussion. So if you're in a life group, we'll be uh, visiting your life group. Uh, but we also have a bunch of sign-ups uh, for, for meetings here in the church. And uh, one thing I just want to make sure that you feel comfortable about, because sometimes it can be scary if you think that you're going to be um, confronted with a question like, uh, "So how much are you going to give?" That's not going to happen in this meeting. Uh, the question is between you and God. We w- we will not be asking anyone to make any commitments in these meetings. It's it's really a conversation.
1: Thanks, Bob. So George is the best dressed man on the panel, and and um, if you get close to him, he even smells good. So um, uh, that's uh, my tip for the morning. Um, <laughs> George is our VP of fun, and uh, we have a big uh, event coming up on October the 29th. It's the, uh, it's the main event. Uh, George, let the folks know what to expect, who should come, that type of thing.
4: I want to tell you that uh, the main event is happening on October the 29th, and I want each one of you to circle that on your calendar, because it's going to be an amazing evening. Uh, we've got lots of good things planned uh, for the adults. There will be lots of fun, food, fellowship, and a real time of celebration of what the Lord has already done and what he will continue to do in our midst. And as Bob said earlier, uh, you won't be hit up for uh, a pledge or a donation that evening. Just come and enjoy the evening and uh, hear what the Lord is doing.
1: Thanks, George. Now, uh, some of us have... uh, have, have Young children or, or grandchildren, my, my grandchildren's stage. Um, should we get babysitters to come or should we bring them along? How does that all work?
4: I'm glad you asked that, John, because... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us have children and they are the generation of the future. And so we have got a really exciting program put together for them. Uh, I know your kids will have a blast that night. And so all of you that have children make sure they don't miss it, because they're going to have a great time, as the adults will as well.
1: Thanks, George. Um, we didn't plan this ahead. It's amazing how it's all going. Um, <laughs> and g- finally, Gary. Now, Gary uh, plays a lot of roles. He's been my uh, sidekick on, on, the, on the running the campaign itself and involved in a lot of g- uh, details, so thank you for all your work, Gary. Gary is the one, uh, he is a donations chair, so Gary's job is to figure out if we have enough money to proceed and, and, and then follow up on those pledges afterwards. Um, Gary, maybe give a, a sense to uh, the people about how that's all going to work and maybe end it off and just say if there's one, um, if there's one prayer that you would have uh, for all of us in this, this time, what would that be?
3: Uh, thanks, John. I am excited about this campaign and have been for a while, but um, I was really excited when we met... Um, a couple of weeks ago on the property and when Chris and I and others staked it out you could actually visualize uh, the, the building and everything else and it was a great uh, Saturday evening and a Sunday morning service so that really got me going on that but I do mainly uh, f- four things other than what John tells me to do I am involved uh, I was involved in finance with uh, Bob and Dave and setting the goal that we needed of $3 million and how that would be uh, raised and the categories that we would need in order to um, make that uh, possible. And then also I'm um, representing the committee on the small group information meetings in the discussions of how people can contribute. And just for example, people could give on a monthly basis, people could give on uh, a one-time gift or they could, uh, for instance, sell off some assets like stocks and bonds and those kind of things. But we'll go into more detail on that at the small information meetings. Then also, um, be responsible for tallying up all the pledges when they come in uh, to ensure that we have the finances available to uh, meet our obligations and to go ahead with the campaign. And then the last part, which I'll be involved with in the next three years, will be tracking the pledges to make uh, sure that people are informed on a quarterly or semi-annual basis as to what their outstanding pledge is. So there will be a lot to do even over when the campaign is over into the next three years. Uh, a verse that I have found real challenging in this uh, whole process is Matthew 6:19, where uh, Jesus talks about uh, eternal rewards versus earthly rewards. And we all struggle with what uh, we do here on earth as to what we accumulate because it is self gratifying and it is, um, but it is short term in nature. We have the opportunity now of investing into the future, of uh, building for ourselves uh, rewards in heaven by making something available. And it's not only a building, it's the mission that it represents for the future, for grandchildren, children. Um, just as when this church was built, they thought of what was going to happen in the uh, in the future for ministry. So my prayer is that we really consider uh, what we value, uh, short term and long term, and how we can um, make this a real good long term investment for White Ridge. Thank you.
1: And thank you, Gary, and thank you for your attention this morning.
0: Amen. I can tell you it's a joy to work with these guys, many other men and women that are involved in the various committees and levels of responsibility. And I'm, as I said last week, I'm amazed, even humbled, at how God has assembled the different teams of people with different giftings and abilities that um, is quite fascinating to watch happening. And uh, we are indeed in a year of, of discerning and and praying and looking at it. Um, would you take uh, the blue insert that is in your bulletin? You might have been given one. Or you could share with somebody if you don't have one. And uh, instead of uh, the scripture reading from 1 Kings this morning, I've uh, selected three passages that you'll see on the front of the blue page. Um, we're not going to be actually looking too much at First Kings, though we're in a series on First Kings, and that's because The series really has to do with this period of time in Israel's history. And so we're going to be looking at other passages. As you know, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles often cover similar turf. And so we're going to be looking at the historical time of David and Solomon as they prepare God's people to build this temple that God was uh, going to be building. And so uh, there's three passages of Scripture on this blue piece of paper. And I'd ask you to stand with me now and let's read them together out loud. The first one is from Second Chronicles. It's Solomon ta- talking. The second one is from a sermon that Paul preaches in Athens, the apostle in, in Athens. And then thirdly, the f- passage from First Peter is, of course, the apostle Peter. So lift up your voice with me and let's read three passages together. The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for Him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain Him? Who then am I to build a temple for Him? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this moment now as we bow before you, as we prepare our hearts to receive from your word. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the bread of life and that your written word has the wisdom we need to live our lives under your lordship. So even today, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us very personally, privately, but also together and collectively. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to begin by uh, stating something that is kind of an overarching principle that uh, must govern all that we are doing as we get into studying about the temple and Solomon building the temple Uh, We might find ourselves getting down into the weeds as we talk about furnishings and and, uh, dimensions and and significance, how the temple pointed back and how the temple would point forward and and all of its symbolism and so on. Uh, Before we do that, though, we must remember that God's purposes on earth have never changed and they were what they are before the temple and they were what they are during the temple building and they are what they are since the temple building God has always had one purpose in mind, and really, it comes out in, in uh, Genesis and Exodus. Uh, we come out; it comes out, for example, in Exodus chapter 25, when we see that God is saying to Moses, uh, "It's time to build a tabernacle." And of course, the tabernacle is the the uh, tent-like structure that the temple eventually became as a permanent structure built in Jerusalem. And when God was talking to Moses about the purpose of the tabernacle and later the t- temple, he said this. He said, uh, "Have them make a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them." That's it. That's the purpose. That's God's purpose forever and ever. Amen. It was before and it. it will be forever. That's God's purpose. See God wants to dwell. Among us, with us. He wants a relationship. He wants to be among us. He, holy God, without sin, wants to come down and be among us, and we are sinful. How is that transaction supposed to work? The temple was the solution. And David and Solomon began to learn about that. Jesus came in John chapter 1. It says, For the word became flesh. God came down and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory of the one and only from the Father. And so God had to prepare his people for this incredible encounter if his people were not going to be consumed with the holiness of God. And so that's what God is all about. God is always the pursuing God. God is always the initiating God. God is always the one who takes the first step. God is always the one that even when Israel or you and I are wanting to wander away or hide in in controversy or sin or whatever, God is the one that takes the steps to pursue us. He's a pursuing God. Remember in the the creation account in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve had sinned. It says that God and Adam and Eve used to walk in the garden, had fellowship, relationship. He dwelt among them. And then one day God came along walking and Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden and they hid. They now were conscious of sin and separation from God. And it says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 that God came walking and he called to the man, where are you? God's calling every one of you, every day. Where are you? He's leaving post-it notes all over your life, saying, I'm here, are you here with me? Can we we do this together, this life? He wants to dwell with you, among you, in you. He wants to be your best friend. That's God. He's a pursuing God. He's never been anything else. The temple is all about God pursuing God. His people. God began with that in Adam and Eve. God continues on. In my own personal testimony, God has been the pursuing God. When I was in grade 9 and 10, if you'd have known me in grade 9 and 10, you would have seen a religious boy on the outside, and yet I was living a double life. I was seeking to have the fun that my friends were having. I wanted to go and and smoke up. I wanted to try alcohol. I wanted to do that stuff. And, and I was a duplicit man. I was a double-minded man, unstable in everything I did. And I cannot account for what happened in grade 11. I cannot account for it. There's nothing that I changed except that God came pursuing me. And all of a sudden, and I can say it, all of a sudden, I, I be, this book became so important to me. I, I would come home from school and read this book until supper time. And my friends that were doing other things, I saw them as lost. And my, my friends, uh, I had to realize that I couldn't walk down the same road as them and so on. God was pursuing me. We see it in Abraham. Remember, Abraham was, was a moon worshiper, a stargazer, a sun worshiper in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God pursued him. He went there and he said, I I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and you'll be my people. And Abraham obeyed. God pursued Abraham. And later on in scripture we see Moses, this boy, this Hebrew boy that was protected in a reed basket when all other Hebrew boys were being slaughtered. And God protected him and, and, and made him into the leader of God's people. He was pursuing Moses. Later on, when Moses had blown it and, and wrecked things, God pursued him again. He, he, he came to him in a burning bush. Somebody said that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody, Pharaoh's son. The second 40 years of his life, thinking he was a nobody, a shepherd in the backwoods desert of Midian. And finally thinking in his four, four, last 40 years of his life, thinking... <laughs> God can use anybody. He went from being a somebody in pride to being a nobody in shame to being realizing that God could use anybody. God was pursuing him all his life. We see this in Scripture all throughout. We see Israel, a people in slavery in Egypt, and God comes down and He says, I have heard My people's groaning, and I have come down. We see it in David. This youngest boy of eight brothers in the back country of Bethlehem, obscure village, obscure family, and God says, Samuel, you go and you anoint, not the oldest, not the next, but the the youngest one, the one that even wasn't invited to the banquet. And then later on when David had blown it, we talked about this, how he had sinned against the Lord and committed adultery, and God pursued him. Again, he finished well. We see it with Solomon last week as we talked about Solomon. And we saw that the first step that Solomon made in his kingship was to make an alliance with the king of Egypt, the enemies of Israel. And marry the daughter. And bring foreign religion into his home. And go to Gibeon, the high places where idolaters would worship. What was God doing? God was pursuing Solomon. It says in the scripture that God went to Gibeon and met Solomon in a dream. And Solomon could never be the same. We saw it with Peter this past summer as we finished off the Gospel of John. Peter denying that he knew Jesus. And Jesus going to the Sea of Galilee where Peter had gone back to his old life. And Peter being pursued by Jesus. You know, that's who God is, friends. God is pursuing from the day from, until you have your last breath God will pursue you. You can run but you cannot hide. That's the kind of God he is. So that's what the temple's all about, God pursuing his people. I want to share three things this morning with you and if you could start with me, we're going to look at a motive a mission and a means, and we're going to understand that for God's people to be ready to build up the temple of the living God on earth at that time, in that old covenant era, God had to prepare their motive of their hearts, the, the focus of their mission, and the means by which He would fund and prepare and build the kingdom that He was going to build. So let's begin by looking in our Bibles at 1 Chronicles chapter 17. If you have a device or a Bible uh, with you and you want to turn to it, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And I want to read one verse, incredible verse, that jumps us into understanding motive. 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, After David was settled in his palace... He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Now let's just take a pause there for a moment and think about this. What's in the mind of David in this verse? What's going through his heart in this moment? David is sitting in the luxury of a palace that he has just built for himself. He's got the comforts that the best technology could provide in that time, and he is enjoying it. And one day, because God's giving him peace on all sides, slowly, he's got less fights to do and so on, and he's enjoying, he's resting back, he's got surplus and comfort. And he thinks one day, here I am sitting in this luxurious palace, and poor God, Poor God only has a tent. I know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to do the charitable thing. I am going to go and build a house for God. Now, I'm not reading in too far here because we're going to see God's response to David if you'll read on with me. It says in verse 2, Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. And that night the word of God came to Nathan, saying... Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, you are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any one of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? voice inflection added for effect. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is so clear. God is saying to David, David, time out. I don't need your charity. I'm not really that concerned about the physical structure that you put me in, in the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, David, has this ever been a concern of mine, really? Really? Am I not more about my people than the tent and where it goes and how it's taken care of? And it goes on to say, in fact, it's an incredible passage. We won't read it all. He starts in verse 7 by saying, now then tell me, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture. I took you from the pasture, from following the flock and and he goes on to talk about, I, I, I took care of all your enemies, I did everything that you ever needed, I'm going to make your name great, and you're, there's not going to be a king greater than David. And I'm going to carry your lineage on forever. And he talks about that, and we know, looking back, that it's about the son of David, Jesus Christ, that he's talking about. But what does he say in verse 10? At the end of verse 10, what does God say to David he says, "I declare to you, the Lord will build a house for you." I love that. David is saying, "Poor God, I'm going to build a house for Him." And by the end of it, God is saying, "David, I'm going to build your house." This is incredible. This is talking about motive here. This is talking about heart, motive. God is getting at the heart of things here. God is never in debt anyone. God does not need our charity. God is never beholding. God is never dependent. Everything we have is from God. It comes from Him. It's for Him. It's unto Him. And when we understand it, we respond like David does later on. You'll notice chapter 17 and verse 16, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? Oh, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? He gets it. He starts to say, Oh, God, I'm sorry. What was I thinking that, that I could do something for you, that you need me? That." And then he goes on, and, and the key, he says, is 20, verse 20, There's no one like you, O Lord, and there's no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whose God went out to redeem a people for himself. You see, God's all about the people. And David gets it. David realizes, okay, it's not about the structure. It's about the people of God. Some of you are old enough to remember what took place in January 20th of 1961. I know I've eliminated most of you. And the 35th, president of the United States was giving his inaugural address, John F. Kennedy. You remember the, remember the saying? Remember that famous quote? Ask not what your country can do for you. Instead, ask what you can do for your country. You know what God's saying in here to David? He's saying, David, ask not what you can do for your God. Ask instead what your God can do and will do for you. That's God. See, we, we are all, God's always the pursuer, always the initiator, always the guy with the plan, always the one that leads. We are always the ones that follow. That's God. He doesn't need our charity. And David gets it. David understands the message. It's the difference between the creature and the creator. You see, God is is independent. We are dependent. Being independent means he doesn't need anyone or anything. That's why he's called Yahweh, I am. He's the self-existent one. And so the theologians differentiate between The attributes of God that are communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God. The communicable attributes of God simply mean those attributes that God, that we are like because we were created in His image. I have the capacity to love even as God is love, but I don't love like God loves. I can be fair and just, it's written on my heart, this sense of right and wrong, because that's a communicable attribute that I share, because I'm created in the image of God. But the incommunicable attributes of God are those things about God that we do not know anything about. Like God is eternal. I had a beginning. Like God is infinite in every manner. Can't get my head around that one. Like God is all-knowing, omniscient. Like he knows what you're going to think before you think it. That God never slumbers nor sleeps because he doesn't need to sleep. We have to sleep. And and all these incommunicable, he never tires and so on. That's God. What does that mean? It's it's all part of him being the creator and us being the creature. We need God. He does not need us. If I stop thinking about God all this week, does it change anything about God? No. If God stopped thinking about you for one millisecond, you would be ashes. You'd be done. That's God. And that's the difference between God and us. Matthew Henry Quoting the Apostle Paul said, Our testimony is, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's testimony is simply, I am. Self-existent one. So David has it right here. David understands motive. David understands. I don't build for God. God's the only builder. And when we understand what he's doing and the grace that he's given us, we just want to be part of what he's doing. That leads us to our second point. And that is that not only is God the builder, but God's building a people, not not physical structures. Though God told David that it would be his son Solomon that would build the temple, he wanted to remind them what he was really all about, and and that was a people. We just read 1 Chronicles 17, verse 21, how he's, he's talking about redeeming a people for himself. The scriptures that we read at the beginning of the sermon also talk all about that. It's all about the people that God is redeeming. And whatever God does physically in this world is all ultimately about the people that will be influenced to, to come into His kingdom and be worshipers forever. It's like you going to a theater, a drama, and you're, you're at the Manitoba Theater Center or somewhere, and, and you've gone for what reason? You've gone because you've heard about the play, or you heard about one of the actors or actresses, and and you just you just want to go and you heard about the storyline. You like the story, you've read it, or you saw a movie about it, or something. And you're going because it's all about the the things that's happening on the stage. You don't go to to a a play because the set is, is supposedly really neat. You see, the physical structures are, are the set, and if, if the play is worthwhile, then the play is worth going to, regardless of what the set looks like. And if it's not worth going to, it doesn't matter what the set looks like. It's not going to make you pay the 50 bucks or whatever it is to get there. It's the same with God. God's concerned about what's going on the stage of His kingdom, His family, His people. He come down to dwell with us. He wants to know what's going on. And if you're going to put the backdrop in at McDermott Avenue or Grand Avenue or Scherfield Boulevard or McGilvery, I don't care, God says, really, unless it really impacts what's going on on the stage and there's more people going to be involved in my kingdom, then I care. And that leads us to our third point, which has to do with not only is God the builder, not only is He building people, but thirdly, He's using people to build people. He is involving people in the building of His kingdom. And He does that in all kinds of ways. He does it with our resources, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we notice, and we don't have time to do this, but... We notice way back in First Chronicles chapter 22, under David's reign, we see in chapter 22, David makes preparations for the temple. He's already gathering. It's not just that he's gathering from his his uh, Israel's treasury. You know, they go and fight the Amalekites and they take all the gold and silver. They go to the Philistines and they take all that stuff. And they got this enormous treasury. He's not just talking about that and making furnishings and and uh, architectural stuff. But he goes on to say in chapter 28, he talks about his own personal commitment. And in chapter 29, it says in this passage, he says, the task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. And with all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. In verse 3, he says, I have given my personal treasuries of gold and silver. In verse 6, it says, Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work, they gave willingly... You see this trickle-down effect, and then in verse 9, look at this, it says, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. You see, it was all these people, David, the leaders of David, the people of David's kingdom, and then into Solomon we go, 1 Kings 5 and 6, 2 Chronicles 1, 2, 3, these are passages that talk about then Solomon also and the people under Solomon's reign coming and giving freely. You see, God had redeemed a people and in response to their redemption and the shepherding of God upon them, they just say, God, you're the king, you lead. All we have comes from you. It belongs to you. Well, um, we, we need to continue on. I want to conclude with some thoughts and, and that is, first of all, we need to bring it home here where we live. First of all, I want to ask, um, how are we doing in these three areas that my sermon has been about this morning? Does our heart motive need a correction as David's did? Are, are we sitting in our homes? Are we thinking about our bank accounts and, and our lifestyles? And are we thinking, gee, poor God, He could use a better building. You know, our church, poor poor. Church, let, let's help out here. Let's be charitable. I mean, is there any, any recesses of that in our hearts, in our attitudes, that says somehow that, poor God, this has to be wiped out. This is not, this is not biblical. This is not who God is. It's is not what He wants. Our motives have to be this, God, it, it's a response of gratitude. That we want to be involved in what you're involved in. Secondly, are we keeping the right mission focus throughout this time? Are we keeping the mission focus on the people that God is redeeming from South Winnipeg and from all around the globe? Is, is it all about the people of God that are becoming more and more worshipers of Him? And then finally, are we willing to be used by God however he chooses, are we willing to be the means by which God will build his people? You know, it was, I believe, God's providence that led Pat and I to listen to a sermon yesterday by C.J. Mahaney. And the sermon was on pride. And I want to say this just bluntly, Some of you in my last seven years here in this church, some of you, several of you, have told me in accounting for the history of our church 10, 12 years ago, some of you have said that it was pride that caused problems in the building of this building the first time. That God had to humble this church family. That's not my words, these are the words of several of you. There's an author by the name of Charles Bridges that said that this definition of pride, pride is contending for supremacy with God. So here's here's God, the supreme one, Lord of lords over the church, and pride says, I'm contending for that. I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm competing with you. Jesus is Lord of your life, right? Well, pride in you Whatever form it might take says, well, Jesus, I'm not going to... I got this. You just back away. It's contending for supremacy with God. John Stott said that every stage in your Christian development and in every sphere of your Christian development... So you can think about it from from the beginning of your Christian walk till the day you die, in every sphere and every stage of your Christian development, pride will be your greatest enemy and humility will be your greatest friend. So we have to ask, how is pride manifest? Does it come out in that that thought, ooh, I did pretty good today. Does it come out in a thought later on saying, well, I showed him, does it come out in a tension, a conflict, in a relationship? How does it come out? Does it come out in thinking that, that uh, Well, I'm, I'm giving probably a lot more than some other people are giving. How does pride come out? It'll be destructive of you. It never rests. It'll be destructive. Of you. It's not a matter of, of if you are going to ever struggle with pride. No. Everyone in this room, It's already your greatest enemy, and humility will be your greatest friend. So I'm going to ask two things of us as a church in the next two months. I'm going to ask you to do two things with me, and the first thing is I want to ask you to do battle against pride. To make warfare against pride. However, it creeps in to your life. And you know the Holy Spirit will show you. You live under the cross of Jesus and he'll show you where pride comes in. Determine that pride will be killed. And then secondly, part of the first one is then nurture humility. God says, humble yourselves under my mighty hand. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then secondly, would you pick up this book? Go buy a copy if you don't have one. They're for sale in the foyer. Walk with our church for those 50 days. And it'll help you nurture humility. It'll draw you close to God. It'll help you recognize a proper motive. Walk with us through this. Join one of the life groups that are starting after Thanksgiving Make your own group if you want, but, but walk through this book with us as we seek to keep our heart's attitude right before God, as we seek to keep the lines of communication open before God so that we know His leading and His will. Would you do those two things in these next two months? Let's pray together. We read in Isaiah chapter 66. This is what the Lord says Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? But here, this is the one that I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. And trembles at my word. Well, Father God, thank you for uh, your word today this morning. Thank you, Lord. I am I am humbled to be one of the shepherds in this church family. Um, Father, I thank you for calling us into service and to into this season of time. And Father, we walk with trembling before you, we walk in the fear of the Lord, understanding that when moments pass by, they can be gone, and that we are living in this opportunity of possible harvest. God, we we acknowledge you as the sovereign Lord, the the King over all, who is not dependent on us for anything. We acknowledge you today, O God, that that you, if, if you decide to build your kingdom in Winnipeg, you will do it, Father. And you could easily pass by White Ridge Baptist Church and do it. Father, we don't want that. We ask you, we, we plead with you, be merciful. Hear our prayer. We want to be a humble people. We want you, O God, to not pass us by, but to use us in the building of your kingdom for for more souls that yet need to be saved and the body of Christ that needs to be built up in this city. God, we ask you, help us to be humble before you. Forgive us our pride. And wherever it manifests, help your Holy Spirit to show us where it is. We will confess it, O God. We will humble ourselves before you. We will seek to walk as creatures before our Creator, as those who are dependent on You. And we will treat our resources as as those things that You have blessed us with, not only for the blessing of our own lives and families, but also for the building of Your kingdom. And we will give to You, God, not out of charity, but God, out of a heart of gratitude, wanting to be part of what You're all about, O Father. Would you hear our prayer today, O Lord? Would you help us in these next few months as we discern your leading, as we seek your face, as we read together, and as we pray together, as we plan together, as we dream together? Father, help us to know your will together. And we'll give you praise and and all the glory will go to Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, bring your kingdom. Let your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And we'll give you the praise. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.